today on Ag News Daily. To your point, 80%, over 80% of the grain dryers in the country are run on our fuel. So we're excited about it. We're always focused on it. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here from the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good, Mike, but today was report day. It was WASD as well as crop production numbers, and I'm scratching my head a little bit about the numbers that we got out. What are you scratching your head for, Delaney? Because the USDA hasn't adjusted any numbers. And I know people like Darren Newsom would say, well, those numbers don't hold any weight. They don't mean anything. The USDA skews them, et cetera. And I know other people, including, I think Brian mentioned it yesterday, you know, that USDA most likely wouldn't adjust the numbers on this report. But I have talked to so many North Dakota farmers over the last 24 hours that I think there is no way humanly possible that we will see 97 million acres of corn planted this year. Yeah. I mean, I'm inclined to agree with you. Uh, Given the acre production growth that we have seen in the Dakotas, given the wetness that still persists throughout the Red River Valley and the cold and the snow they have gotten here over the past several days or week, you know, I think you're right. We're definitely, we're going to lose acres up there. I've talked to enough of our listeners up in that part of the state, enough of our Zaner clients to hear that prevent plant acres are growing. A lot of them are getting ready to just throw in the towel if they haven't already. However, I think the concern remains, and the reason my guess is why USDA didn't adjust them. A, they typically don't. On the May report, they look at prospective plantings, and that is the corn planting number, soybean planting number they roll with because it is still so early in the season. But the pace at which corn has mm-hmm. gone in the ground That's true. in Ohio, in, in you know, Kansas, in Iowa, in Illinois, in Indiana, I think USDA is hedging their bets that we will see more acres go in in those areas that perhaps could outdo the acres lost in the Dakotas, or at least come close to match them. That's where I think USDA's head is. That's why I'm guessing they didn't make that. That would be a huge change to adjust acres down from from the March report in a May WASDI. And so I think they just kind of erred on the side of caution to go ahead and use the prospective planting numbers. However, it is report day, and the report, while bearish from a fundamental perspective, wasn't overwhelmingly so. Delaney, do you have the numbers in front of you handy? Yes, Mike, I do have those numbers handy. And like I said, USDA really didn't touch acreage or yield when it comes to corn acres. They left acreage expected at 97 million acres with a yield line of 1.78 or 178 and a half bushels per acre. Corn production numbers were at 15.995 billion bushels. And they put ending stocks at 3.318 billion bushels. The other notable thing that they did, especially on the corn side of things, is they raised corn demand, which I question a little bit how they got to that, too, when you look at ethanol and you see how much of a lack of demand we're seeing on that front. On the soybean side of things, they put us in at 83.5 planted acres, 83.5 million, I should say, with a trend line yield of 49.8 Production carryover numbers was uh, 4.125 billion bushels and ending stocks were at 405 million bushels. I believe they did something for demand on soybean side of things too, Mike. I'm I'm drawing a blank on what they did. Yeah, so basically at the end of the day, 
uh, demand ticked up on corn. It came in higher than most traders were anticipating. Reminder, folks, the average trade gas was 3.389 billion bushels for 2021 corn crop carryover. USDA came in below that. So technically, this was a, uh, was a bullish report moderately. Um, anything over 3 billion bushels for carryout is certainly yeah. bearish from a fundamental perspective. But Delaney's right. The USDA plugged in some numbers for ethanol. Those numbers, we'll have to wait to see if they verify. We've got a whole summer ahead of us of back and forth on this coronavirus thing, back and forth on whether or not folks are going to be driving. But USDA went ahead and assumed there will be some driving there. They looked at the improvement in crude oil prices. They said this is going to probably translate to increased margin for ethanol plants. And we didn't see an increase in ethanol production. But we did see more production in the report than a lot of traders were estimating. The other side is we saw an increase in corn exports, uh, USDA's expectation of corn exports, I should say. And this, they, they looked around the world. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, the American corn crop is cheap. The American corn crop is plentiful. We do have a lot of foreign buyers who are probably going to step in and take advantage of this while prices are so low, and they ticked exports up. Similar story happened on soybeans, as Delaney mentioned. You know, the bean conversation was a little bit different. Corn was across the charts bearish. Um, excuse me, bullish. Old crop corn estimates came in at 2.098. That is just slightly above their April estimate and well below the average trade guess on uh, on old crop, on new crop, where you talked about bullish there. Beans, it was kind of a mixed bag. Beans, the old crop number came in at 580 million bushels as carryout. The trade was estimating 488. So basically, we USDA added 100 million bushels or came in 100 million bushels over what the trade was estimating substantially bearish figure for the old crop demand. However, new crop came in about 25 million bushels under the trade expectations. So, and again, they are figuring on growth in the global livestock herd. They're looking at China rebuilding their hog herd. They do anticipate export demand to stay strong for soybeans. And those were the factors that kind of gave us that mixed report for today. And we'll talk about what it did for the markets pretty much as expected when you look at something like this. So we'll uh, we'll get into that, Delaney, but we probably ought to talk about some other agricultural news before we get there. What do you say? Yes, we should. And actually, since we're talking crop production and crop progress and all those things, I've got the crop progress numbers here as well. And like you said, USDA might be justified in keeping their higher acreage number because we have seen really record planting paces across the country other than North Dakota, which is pre excuse me, pretty much at 0%, 0 to 10% planted. And I think that's a pretty optimistic uh, estimation. But in the Midwest, as of May 3rd, May 3rd, 51% of the U.S. corn crop is planted. The five-year average for this time of year is 39%. However, I would like to add, again, I've been talking to farmers here over the last day and a day and a half, really. And a lot of the farmers said they've gotten a crop in in some parts of the country, not North Dakota, but other where. And they said they've been having a little concern because of the really cold weather conditions that we've been seeing. So I would say that there are some, some folks already looking at replants for this year. So I'll just add that little note in there. When you look at the rest of kind of the crop planting numbers, 23% of the U.S. soybean crop is planted compared to the five-year average, which is just 11%. So soybeans are well ahead of pace as well. 
yes. And that is something that could be construed as supportive to the soybean market as this cold snap is much more detrimental to emerged soybeans with their growing point above ground than it is for corn. For most of these crops, you know, you get south of I-70, and of course their corn's fairly well emerged. But in the northern corn belt, where the cold snap is hit, those growing points are still safely tucked in to these soils below ground. And, uh, you know, we're not saying it provide a huge incentive for the corn market, but uh, we could still see some returns for soybeans. And Delaney, speaking of soybeans, they have been a hot topic in the ongoing freezing and thawing of the trade war with China. Of course, we are back into a freeze period of this trade war with President Trump, again, threatening tariffs on uh, Chinese imports. Well, China is not retaliating. China is proceeding to move forward with their tariff waivers on products from America. So this means that Chinese consumers or businesses won't be paying a tax when they import these products from the US. They announced today a new list of 79 different products eligible for waivers from these tariffs. Now these aren't total tariff waivers, these are waivers from the retaliatory trade war tariffs that were put on last year. Um, nothing particularly agriculture focused, but Broadly speaking, we're looking at uh, some manufactured products. We're looking at iron ores, rare, or rare earth metals, and concentrated products. I don't know if that includes frozen concentrated orange juice or not. I'm still digging into the list. Um, but this does certainly appear to be kind of a bone thrown by China. Hey, look, we're still trying to make good on our phase one trade agreement. Um, possibly a good sign that China is willing to continue to come to the table, maybe we'll see them step forward and make some more soybean purchases as these prices continue to decline. Yeah, but like uh, Brian was saying yesterday, and I've been trying to verify and fact check this, I've seen a couple people tweet this out. I think Squawk Box might have tweeted this, but essentially looking at this U.S.-China trade agreement, a lot of sources are reporting that Chinese officials may consider invalidating the phase one of our trade deal, of our trade deal, excuse me, because they say that it, this original deal we have in place tilts the scales more towards the U.S. and they'd like to tilt the scales more towards the Chinese side. Yeah, and I've heard similar rumblings predominantly across social media, and I think this announcement today might, it, who knows, but it, it might chill those rumors out a little bit. Because China wouldn't be doing this, I don't think, unless they were actively attempting to make good on this phase one agreement. I mean, they've had well, pretty good luck with these tariffs. They're not necessarily in need of iron ore. China produces a, a vast amount of it themselves. So the fact that they're willing to cut tariffs on U.S. products tells it speaks to me and says that, you know, maybe they're willing to continue to work with it. But, you know, time will tell. It's the yes. Chinese. Yep. Absolutely. Time will tell. Time will also tell whether or not we see a phase four package pass in Congress. We are seeing House Democrats this week finish up their proposal for the next round of coronavirus relief, which would include some relief for farm country. Specifically, we've seen a big group of senators asking leaders in both the House and Senate to cover costs of euthanizing pigs that can't be sent to slaughter. They are also putting pressure on Congress to put together PPE, protective 
whatever that personal protective equipment, uh, making sure that they have that available for especially the slaughtering facilities. They're also trying to toss the biofuels industry a bone. And we've seen several farm group and biofuel groups send letters to House and Senators asking them for direct financial assistance. And Congress hasn't ruled that out yet. So I guess that's a potential that we could see some biofuel support in there as well, but really sounds like they're trying to figure out how to make this a little more fair and maybe throw agriculture a bone in this next round of phase four. But, you know, to be quite honest, Mike, I cannot keep track of what is a part of each of the different phases. Like, I guess we've had three, but I couldn't tell you which was in each one of those three. Right. Yeah, it all kind of blurs together. And at the end of the day, this administration has thrown the biofuels industry under the bus so many times, they've got to almost be out of buses. I mean, they need, right. They need, if nothing else, make the oil majors follow the law, follow the renewable fuel standard. That should be the absolute bare minimum. And at the end of the day, this administration is going to consider that throwing the ethanol industry a lifeline, just making oil follow the law. So I don't know. It's frustrating. And my heart goes out to everybody in the biofuels industry. Um, I want to take it back to China just real quick before we get to the markets. Um, Australia initiated an inquiry into the origination of this uh, COVID-19, this coronavirus outbreak in China. Since then, China has, they say it's not retaliatory, but it certainly looks that way. They have put an 80% tariff on Australian barley. And just today, they have suspended beef imports from four of Australia's largest meat packers. Um, they say it's because they have concerns about uh, basically COVID-19 in the meat supply chain in Australia. Australia has had virtually no coronavirus cases. I think they've had like 160 nationwide. So this certainly seems a little spurious. It certainly sounds as though it is retaliatory message, uh, measures taken against Australia questioning what happened with this coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan and might be some good news for America. If China's going to stick with their phase one agreement, they could certainly step in and, and purchase some beef. They continue to purchase uh, carcasses of hogs from this country. We'll have to see how this all plays out. But they are now cutting back beef imports from Australia. All right. Well, since you mentioned markets, Mike, let's just hop on over and chat markets for today. Let's do it. And as we mentioned, we had a minor bullish report for corn. We saw corn rise. We had a bearish report for soybeans. Saw soybeans fall. Not terribly surprising, although the livestock market continues to be volatile. Looking at corn, the July corn contract was up three and three quarter cents at 322 and a quarter, while the December was up a penny. Finished the day at 335 and three quarters. In soybeans, the July was down three cents at 852 even. November new crop down one and a half, closed at 857 even. Over in Chicago, wheat weakness, uh, surprising considering this divergence from the corn market, but the July contract, Chicago was down two and three quarters at 514 and a half, with December down two and three quarters as well to close at 527 and a half. Looking over at livestock, remember yesterday saw some limit up moves in live cattle. They had expanded limits today and they used them. June live cattle up the expanded limit $4.50 to close at 97.17 and a half. August also 450 higher to close at 101.70. Feeder cattle moving higher on strength in the live cattle markets. The August contract was up $3.75 at 135.75. September up $3 and a nickel to close at 137.10. Lean hogs also finding some strength today. The June contract was up $1.05 at 6132 half. The July up a dollar, closing at 6147 and a half. 
the big question is dairy. Can that rally that has been going on for the past 10 days persist? And yeah, a little bit. The May class three milk contract was up two cents at 11.73. June up 16 cents on the day, closed at 14.59. Without further ado, let's take it over to how we get those crops from the field into storage safely by drying them down for our hashtag Tech Tuesday conversation. Well, for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, joined today by Mike Newland, who is the Director of Ag Business Development for the Propane Education and Research Council. Mike, that's a pretty big mouthful of a title you have there. Before we talk about the new tool that you guys have launched, tell us a little bit more about your role. Great question, and you're exactly correct. I guess the title goes along with maybe the job responsibilities. So, uh, the Propane Education Research Council is a, um, it's a, it's an industry program, and much like the Soybean Association and the Corn Growers Association, we're, we're the checkoff program for the propane industry. So uh, what we focus on are promoting the product, uh, the propane gallon across the country, and developing new users and uses for propane. And then specifically what I do is work everything in agriculture, uh, from coast to coast. So I get a touch and, and be involved in a lot of different things uh, from grain projects to vegetable projects to new equipment that we might be bringing to the, ta- uh, to the market. So it's a, uh, it's a wide variety of, of experiences and it keeps me hopping. Well, Mike, and that's the thing. When we talk about agriculture, a lot of our listeners are no doubt very familiar with propane, whether they're using it to heat their homes or to dry their grain. And we wanted to have you on today to talk specifically about how you guys are working with farmers to help estimate drying costs and requirements when it comes to using propane. Can you fill us in a little bit on your grain drying calculator? Happy to, yeah. And to your point, eighty percent, over eighty percent of the grain dryers in the country are run on our fuel. So we're excited about it. We're always focused on it. So we've launched a new tool, uh, grain dryer calculator. You can find it at propane.com on our grain drying page. Uh, really, what we did this was in response to one of our large cooperative um, sellers of propane across the Midwest uh, was asking us to develop a tool that they could use with farmers at the farm gate just to estimate gallons. And I really look at it as a conversation starter. Uh, it's a great opportunity to have with uh, a, uh, between a marketer and a farmer and uh, just to do a little planning, pre-planning as we look at grain drying for the fall. So if you go to the page, uh, it's our grain dryer page once again, uh, really three simple things that you need to fill into this model uh, into the calculator and it's it's your corn acres, what your average yield is expected to be, and how many points you're expecting to have to take off of that crop to put it in the bin. So if you're harvesting at 20%, you want to put it in at 15, set that, uh, that toggle to five, and uh, it automatically estimates the number of gallons that you're going to need. Now, there's a couple variables that we didn't account for that are hard to account for in this calculator. It's really a rough uh, estimate. Um, obviously, the equipment you're using and how efficient your grain dryer is plays a big role in how much propane you're going to use. So that's something we can't account for. Second being the ambient temp- temperature of the air while you're uh, drying. 
uh, as, as the fall progresses and you're drying corn, uh, you're going to burn more as the temperature gets colder outside. So uh, those two things really, uh, in a model like this or a calculator like this, it's tough to account for. We've just set them at what the industry typically uh, recognizes as the amount of propane per bushel per point of moisture that needs to be used. And Mike, looking at the website where you guys have this calculator laid out, it does look like it's a pretty simple, easy calculator to use if I'm a farmer and I need to calculate that. But I, I want to ask a little bit more about the background behind why you decided to put this together, because I'm going to guess that 2019 and the interesting year we had with trying to get a hold of propane maybe had its factor in playing into this new development. It absolutely did, uh, as you alluded to. We, um, there, was, there were many challenges, logistics challenges throughout the Midwest, especially in the upper Midwest, as we uh, planted so late last spring and we uh, pushed into fall, late into fall and into winter and some beyond the calendar year, quite honestly, trying to get harvest completed. Uh, absolutely. So this was in direct response to that and we felt it was a good opportunity to start the conversation sooner rather than later. You know, the biggest thing we can do is encourage folks to fill tanks early. Uh, that allows us to continue to move uh, product in behind it. So uh, we've got a lot of storage around the country on the farm gate level uh, with those tank capacities. And we'd like to encourage folks, have a conversation with your local propane marketer. Um, and we'd like to see those all those tanks filled uh, in the summertime instead of uh, a day or two before the corn uh, corn starts to run through the combines. The whole here as we head into summer, of course, we've got a long way, hopefully, before we're drying grain. I know our friends up in the Dakotas are still working on getting some corn out of the fields up there. There might be some dry down up in that area yet. But we have seen energy prices as a whole take a massive tumble here over this coronavirus situation. What is your read on the propane industry? What does pricing look like? How are things shaping up heading into the summer? Yeah, we uh, we're obviously we're in, a, in new times right now. And quite honestly, you're exactly correct. The price of crude has dropped to um, unimaginable pricing, quite honestly. So um, we are keeping a very close eye on everything as it relates to the oil markets and to propane. There, there are two industries that are intertwined. Um, so we're keeping an eye on um, gallons. We're keeping an eye on our pricing throughout the Midwest. We have 3,500 independent propane marketers across the country. So when people start asking what the price is, it gets, a, it gets convoluted very quickly. I can't really answer that question. It varies based on your geography, based on what marketer you're dealing with and how close you are to a distribution point. So there's a lot of variables that go into that, but in general, energy is cheaper right now than it has been. Uh, so I'd encourage you to talk to your local marketers, those farmers, talk to your local marketers, especially now, especially coming out of the year we came out of, have a planning session with them. You know, I, I really think you should be talking to a propane marketer if you're a farmer on a very regular basis. I don't think it's a one time a year conversation about just locking in a price. Uh, we need to be communicating back and forth both ways. When you're gonna start harvest, uh, that marketer needs to be involved in that discussion and understand what your plans are and what your pace is going to be for harvest. Mike, before we let you go, you've made a lot of great points. We're talking about this propane calculator tool. 
share again one more time with our listeners how they can access it if they'd like to do a little calculating on their own farms? Absolutely. So the easiest way uh, is to go to propane.com, hover across uh, the toolbar at the top over the products label, and under that drop down, you're going to see a lot of different options and, and markets that we play in with propane uh, equipment. But click on the grain dryer uh, link and it'll take you to um, information about our grain dryers. If you'll scroll down the page about halfway, there's a propane dryer uh, calculator right in the middle, very um, noticeable. And there's three fields that you need to fill in. You just simply need to fill in your corn acres, your average expected yield, and once again, the uh, per, uh, points of moisture that you're going to take that product off and dry down to. So the difference between your harvest moisture and what the moisture you'd like to store that grain at. Fantastic. Well, Mike Newland, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, Mike, thanks for filling us in on everything PERC is doing. The propane is a massively important fuel supply in rural America. And it's uh, after a year like last year, it's one of those things we recognize just how important it is. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we don't have a year like last year on any front at all. It sounds like, unfortunately, North Dakota listeners, you might be having a repeat of 2019. But really the rest of the country, I, I think what I'm hearing from a weather standpoint is it's just so varied. It is varied. I was talking to our uh, our good friend, weatherman Ed at Valley from uh, Empire Weather, and he said we could see a ridge starting to set up above average temperatures starting to develop across the Corn Belt here in just this next week. So folks, hold on. Maybe we'll be done with these frost and freeze alerts before too long. But listeners, if you want to keep up with the conversations happening in agriculture, check out our website. You can view all of our past episodes as well as those of other ag, excuse me, global ag network podcasters. Just visit agnewsdaily.com or find us on social media, Ag News Daily on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.